getting private money to close on a deal. And then when the deal is not going according to the plan, the private lender, they don't care. They want their money. Mm-hmm. I should have done as a JV partner, for example, JPLP, because they would be crying with me. Now I'm the one crying. Welcome to the Deals That Stay Wholesaling Podcast, where we discuss finding, financing, and facilitating off-market real estate deals. I'm your host, Dejardunton, and I'm joined today on the show by Sandro Canada to discuss and share his knowledge on how to acquire off-market properties using the agreement for sale financing strategy. A little bit about Sandro. Sandro is a Brazilian-Canadian entrepreneur an award-winning real estate investor, a certified coach, and a public speaker. He uses his creative skills to find opportunities that most people would ignore. Sandro retired from his nine-to-five grind to become a full-time real estate investor, and he's recognized in the industry for his creativity, tenacity, and mindset. Since his decision to become a professional real estate investor, he went from seven to $114 in his first year and is currently acquiring multifamily properties across U.S., Canada, and best believe, Brazil. Sandro graduated from the business and law degree, and he brings over two decades of experience in the field of sales, customer service, coaching, and business development. He's always taking risks. His mind is constantly expanding. So you really do not want to miss this, guys. In today's episode, what Sandra and I discuss is what took for him to transition from being a real estate investor to being a coach. We also discuss the ins and the outs of the agreement for sales strategy. And finally, we discuss why this strategy is key for every wholesaler of every investor who is looking to find off-market deals. So guys, this is an episode you do not want to miss. Now, before we dive into the episode, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who is tuning in. If you are a fan of this episode, please do not forget to like, subscribe, and hit that notification button. So let's dive into today's episode. Hi, Sandro. Welcome to the Deals Estate Wholesaling Podcast. It's my absolute honor. I am pumped and so excited to be here with you today. Thank you very much, Sandro. Like, this is so exciting because... I love the energy that you bring. And I know that when people are listening to this episode, it's going to be like a fire, fire, fire episode. So thank you very much for taking time out of the schedule you know, to join us on this call and to share your experience with everyone who is listening. Of course, when you call, we block and cancel everything. <laughs> we got we to jump on. So. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So, you know, I did a bit of introduction at the start of this episode, but a lot of people might not know who you are. And it's always a good then to start off with an introduction. So if you don't mind, can you tell us about yourself? Who is Sandro Canada? Yeah, so, and people also ask me, oh man, this is a cool family name. Canada is not my <laughs> name. I have a Portuguese family name, which is Ferreira. People just can say it. And the way that it spells is like Ferreira, Ferreira. It's like, okay, you know what? When I was looking for social media uh, and the names that I was be able to leverage across any platform. Sandra Canada was available. That's literally why I adopted Sandra Canada because you can literally 
find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Pinterest, you name it, slash Sandro Canada, and I will be there. I moved from Brazil in 2010. When I got here, I had no English and I had very basic French because I basically had enough French to be able to immigrate. Yep. And uh, got into work in Brazil. I built my career in law, business, and I got to Canada. New country, new life, new career. Everything is new. I left that law thing behind, got into books and law. Anyways, uh, did a book position. And I came across the Rich Dad Poor Dad book. Okay. The game. That's usually everyone's gateway into real estate. I feel like that drug is, that book is like a drug. You know, like when you read the book, just changes your perspective and gives you a different insight into, you know, how, you know, how things are done. It does because for me, if I can give like in few words, what the book taught me, well, poor people work to pay the bills. Middle class, they use money to keep up with appearances and keep up because they don't want to yeah. lose. And rich people use money to multiply wealth and buy back their time. That's literally what it is. It's like, okay, this is it. And then when I look into the numbers, you look back 100 years, two world wars, few recessions and two depressions and real estate always coming up. Look yeah. back in 500 years, same. It's like, okay, this is the game. Yeah. Perfect, man. Okay, so that's a bit about your immigration journey. Do you maybe want to walk us through your journey to date as a real estate investor? You know, How did you get started? Yeah. What motivated you to pursue real estate as an investment for a call? And, you know, yeah, um, how did this whole journey start? Yes, I actually, and again, don't do that. <laughs> this is not a piece of advice. This is just an experience. But the CRA, which is the Canada Revenue Agency, they actually funded my first deal. How? Well, okay, okay, let's hear it. I was a technician and I was a subcontractor for Bell installing satellite dishes. Okay. So the boss told me that I should put money aside to pay my taxes at the end of the year because, as self employed, would be my responsibility to take care of my taxes. Yes. So putting the money aside, every payment would put a little bit on the side because I want to make sure that I had the money to pay my duty to the Canadian Revenue Agency. And then I came across a condo that was up for sale in the neighborhood that I was. That was on the Quebec side in Gatineau. Yeah. And I loved it, the condos. I'm going to buy this condo. Said, yeah, but you got to come up with 5% down payment. Oh, I don't have that money. Wait a minute. I don't have that <laughs> money, but I have the CRA money sitting in the <laughs> So then I filled my taxes and I called the CRA, guys, I filled my taxes, but I don't have the money. So I go, oh, okay, well, can you send us 10 checks? Yes, I can do that. Okay, so I sent 10 checks to the CRA to pay the tax and then I took the money and then I bought my first condo. That's how I did it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I hope the CRA is happy now. I pray that never missed again. <laughs> okay, so since since that condo to now that you have a hundred and fourteen dollars, you know how has that how has that journey evolved? You know what for someone who is listening and you know just wants to get a picture of you know how that started and you know how you got to where you are today. What yeah, can you tell them? So two thousand and 
2012, I bought the condo. 2013, I bought another condo. 2016, I bought a house because at this point we had a kid and my wife, she wanted a house. We bought the house. It's like, man, I like this. I'm going to have many, many doors. And then I went back to the bank. I was like, get out of here. No more money for you. Your debt ratios are way too high and all of that thing that everybody knows, right? Yeah. Well, what if I put a, friend, a group of friends together, we buy the house together. So then I put a group of friends together and then we bought a house close to a university in Ottawa to rent for students. And that was 2018. In okay. 2019, so we did a renovation. 2019, every piece of the property was rented, and we're so happy. And then we had the pandemic. <laughs> the pandemic hit. At this point, I wasn't a technician anymore. I was working on sales, selling uh, furnaces and air conditioner on the HVAC industry, yeah. making very, very good money. But I had no life. I had basically to be on call and available for this company seven days a week. This is not life. Like, I'm a family man. I'm a church guy. I love to be to church on Sunday mornings and just to be around family and friends and the community. My wife and I, we love to host. And I just couldn't commit to anything because of the job. The yeah. pandemic hit. I couldn't go visit any clients. And I came across two guys, one from London and one from Windsor, that they started a tribe. And in that tribe, they did a boot camp digital bootcamp to talk about real estate investing. And that weekend completely changed my game in the way that I see things. Because then I started hearing about private lending and hard money and BC lenders. And, <laughs> oh, my goodness, my mind was booming, booming. So And I met a guy that was there, Mr. LeCount. He was also yeah. part of the community. And this dude, he was killing it. like. Killing it. So I messaged him, say, bro, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I got a mentor. It's like, oh, you got a mentor? Yes, I got a mentor. So it's such and such. No, 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 I got a different mentor. Bro, I need to know your mentor. Uh, you need your <laughs> mentor. So he finally agreed, introduced me to his mentor. And uh, Mr. Alfonso Quadra, we connected. That was already 2020. And then I started my program and my mentoring with him, 2020. And I was like, it's all or nothing. And I'm very passionate. And when I'm in, I am in, like, in. That's very evident. <laughs> I started taking, like, massive action. So one of the first things that I started doing was, like, telling everybody, guys, I'm not an HVAC guy anymore. I'm not a sales guy anymore. I'm a real estate investor. What do you mean? We buy houses. We buy cash. I have a group of investors, people. If you know anybody that is selling, let me know. I'm ready to buy. And I started talking to people like that, taking action, leveraging other people's deals, leveraging other people's money, leveraging the resources, everything, going, calling, literally bugging people. Um, and then things started happening, the power of social media and all of that, right? So that's literally how I transitioned from working for that company into investing. And then finally, in 2021, uh, I was taking such large action that, yes, we uh, blew up over 100 doors. Uh, and then, of course, I sold a few of these doors, but I acquired more doors in the meantime. So right now, I'm trending uh, 150-ish. But again, on paper, brother, <laughs> oh, my goodness, the numbers of zeros is impressive. 
right? But that's literally how I, I did. Okay. So, and now in that same mentorship group, which is, is the World Juniors group, you are now a coach. So, you know, yeah. how, how did that transition happen from you started in 2020, you joined the program and now you're a coach for that same program? You know, that's a very impressive trajectory that a lot of people would want to understand what the inspiration was behind that. Well, first of all, I am a type of individual that since early age, I always behaved in a way to um, beat the odds, right? So we, we see the law of averages or the statistics. So if you look into the statistics, where I grew up, the neighborhood that I grew up in, my chances were I would either become a pastor because I was a you know pastor, <laughs> or I would become involved with drugs and get into criminality because a lot of kids that are like, kids pastors that what happened to them or i would become like an entertainer either with soccer or with brazilian music now let's just start there i hate soccer i don't play soccer at all so the the, the chances are gone like the brazilian music with the samba the bossa nova I, I don't like either so my chances of becoming a successful artist they're gone being a pastor, I saw my dad going through the house of being a pastor and trying to jiggle the family. I was like, that's not for me. So then I saw through education my way out, right? Yeah. Some people are like, what are you going to do for, for a living? I'm going to become a lawyer. You're going to become a lawyer. Look around. Okay, so it's, they are saying I'm going to do it. I did it, right? So always being my attitude. So when I got into the program and I saw the opportunity, the community growing, it's like, I'm going to be one of the guys. It's like, oh, but I don't have experience. Well, experience and time, they are two different things. If you're willing to take massive action, guess what? They can get somebody has 20 years of experience investing, but they're just doing the ones and twos. Very and true. Again, going through uh, multi-families and going to seminars and keep learning, educating myself. Guess what? I'm now rubbing shoulders with individuals with much more experience than myself, which now combined is the experience that I leverage. And then, of Got course, it. being very confident, came to Alfonso, like, Alfonso, I am your guy. I have what it takes to be one of the leaders in this community. And I literally forced my way in, and I went to grab my seat. That's how it is. I do I love it on what I call the four Bs. Four Bs is you beware of your environment. Yep. Then you believe who your future self is. Then you start behaving as such, and then you become. That's mm. what I'm doing. I believe I'm one of the best. I'm going to behave as one of the best, so then I become one of the best. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So this is actually a very unique perspective that I know. You know, like, we all hear that with mentorship, mentorship compresses time, essentially. You know, what you would do in two, three, four, five years, you could do it in six months. So, you know, thanks for sharing that and thanks for highlighting the value of mentorship and, you know, in compression of time, but also taking the step to leverage that time compression to then share with other people that are coming behind you. So thanks for sharing that. So now that you're coaching and, you know, there's quite a number of students who have come into the program that you've been coaching, you've also invested through, you know, the boom cycle and now, you know, the cooling cycle. What are your thoughts with respect to the opportunities that you see now going forward with real estate and also with 
the investors and students that are coming? What are the opportunities in this market? So one of the most important things is knowledge and information. The more information and knowledge I have, less risks I take. What I mean by that? Well, I still take risks and massive risks. But when I have the educational information, the team, the mind that gives me the information that I need, then I can make more calculated decisions and then I take conservative decisions. Uh, so I keep moving. So people keep asking, well, what, when is the best time to buy? Well, the best time to buy is right now. For example, when was the best time to plant a tree? Well, that was 20 years ago. So then the tree would be mature right now. Yeah. Uh, when's the second best time to plant a tree? It's today. Yeah, no. Right? Because 20 years is gone. So what are you going to do right now will impact who is going to be. And then when I look into the market and look into the opportunities, you have to be creative. And I was actually just showing to someone because I was very intrigued, saying, well, I cannot find any opportunities in this market in this specific uh, location. And then I showed two phenomenal opportunities. It's like, but these properties are in the market and how I didn't see it. It's like, well, because I always try to think outside of the box, right? And literally think, if I'm buying this property, what else can I do? I look into the zoning to see if I have any opportunities to develop the property. I look into the trends and I look in Google Maps and see the trends of the pictures. What is the location looked like? What is happening? We see a lot of properties. Oh, they're older. Now they're newer. Oh, there's some gentrification happening here. And then I look into the midterm, long term. So what are the exit strategies I have? And that's literally how I analyze a deal, and then after I have this information, I'm convinced that it is a good deal, that's only then I start looking to the numbers. And then, of course, if the numbers don't make sense, well, that's good. At least I learned about this location. And then if the numbers make sense, then I go ahead and I pursue the deal with an offer, and why not? Okay. So that's very interesting because you touched on the key point, which is when looking at a deal, you can have 10 people look at the same deal, and they will see multiple things. And this has happened to me before where, you know, one person can see a deal and think the only exit here is to flip this deal. Another person can look at that deal and say, you know what, maybe flipping is not the highest and best use. Maybe the highest and best use is adding a second unit to the basement. Or maybe the highest and best use is knocking down the building and building like a brand new four, five, six story building. You know, so I think the point you mentioned is so key because... I agree with you that knowledge and education is what allows you to have a grasp of multiple strategies, multiple exit strategies, knowing how to analyze the deals across those different exit strategies, and then identifying which of those strategies provide you with the highest and best use. Right? Because for some investors, they have an abundance of time. Some have an abundance of money. Some have an abundance of resources. So depending on what resources you want to leverage, different strategies would you know, suit you at different times. So I um, just wanted to call that out uh, as something that I've also noticed from a wholesaling standpoint. When I started, I was always just looking at buying deals at 60 cents on the dollar, you know, just thinking about flipping a loan. But as I learn more, I find that a deal might not be a good flip, or it might be a good Airbnb, it might be a good land development, it might be a good buy and hold, it might be a good flip, a good burn. So understanding those different exits, you know, really is helpful. I love it. Now, I just want to make one observation. Um, and I agree with you, but I just see it's slightly different when it comes to resources. I don't think we have any lack of anything. 
everyone can have abundance of money. Everyone can have abundance of time. Everyone can have a, a, so you mentioned three things: time, money, time, money, and resources, and resources. Yeah. And I believe that anyone can have abundance of these three resources, but ever like how we access is yeah. right here, right? It's in the mindset. How do you buy these properties if you don't have these resources available? Well, then you leverage and then you find the individual. So the money, the resources, and the time is there. How are you going to use it? Yeah. So to touch on that, though, I would argue that you almost need to bring something to the table. So, you know, the, the point I was trying to make was that people have abundance of time, resources, you know, money, capital, and just different things, right? But you would need to have one, almost have one, you know, to be able to at least bring something to the table. So, for example, if you don't have time, don't have money, don't have relationships, don't have knowledge, don't have information, don't don't have anything, you, you almost would want to start off building one first. So you start off with the knowledge and information, get learning, meet people, you know, attend meetups. And then from that information and knowledge, you have an idea, okay, what do I need to do next to be able to get my seat at the table? So I agree with you that it's all in the mindset, but it's always good to point out that you would almost would need at least one to start with to take that first step. I agree. I agree. I agree 100%. I couldn't agree more. So now there is a conversation that you and I have had multiple times with, with respect to how the market has been changing and the different strategies that you have seen in the markets. From your standpoint, with how the market has shifted, I know a lot of people are now doing more creative strategies. From your standpoint, um, when looking at off-market deals, you mentioned that you look at different exit strategies and then you identify, okay, what are the numbers? When you start looking at the numbers, what types of acquisition strategies do you use today for this type of market? One strategy that is underutilized is what we call agreement for sale. Sandra, what is an agreement for sale? Well, <laughs> I see, uh, I'm actually have right now a property under contract that I propose agreement for sale, but for the instance, they have no mortgage. So then the agreement for sale is a strategy that you are buying the property. Well, to make life easier, a lot of people are familiar with rent-to-own. Yes. So rent-to-own and agreement for sale, fundamentally speaking, they are very similar, which basically is buying the property today, but with a promise that I will complete that transaction in a certain amount of time in the future. Okay? Okay. So, so in other words, I'm going to buy a property from you today, Deiji, and you still have a mortgage on. But you are paying the mortgage. Let's say you have a mortgage that you bought the property in 2019, and you locked your mortgage for five years, so 19, 20, 1, 2, 3, 4. So you still have a mortgage for like 24 or 25 coming up, so another two or and a half or three years to go. And let's say in this example, your interest rates are like 2.84. Yeah. Okay? So then I come to buy a property and you want to ask market, like you're asking market value for the purchase. But when I run the numbers, it's like, but sir, <laughs> you need to give me a discount. Well, no, this is the price. Well, yes, but if I go to the bank right now and they offer me prime, 
I'm going to pay almost 7% interest rate, 6.95. So while you are paying, in this example, let's just make life easier, okay? So you're yeah. buying a house, is 500000 at 2.84, and maybe paying 1400 a month. And then I go to the bank to look into the same price, and now you're selling, because you bought in 2019. Now, 2023, you want to sell this property for, let's say, 750 because you're in a place that appreciate it. Well, I'm going to have a mortgage that is almost 5K. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't make any sense. So then I come back to you and say, okay, we have two options here. You either give me a large discount or we work together. Would you be open for creative for a creative way of structuring this deal? And I'm going to turn to me and say, well, no, I just want my money, but I'm open. So, okay, if you're open to the conversation, that is a good start. And then I start the conversation from there. So then basically, let's just uh, cut the chase and say, okay, I love it. Let's do creative. Yep. So then say, okay, Mr. Deji, you are paying 1300 in your mortgage because I have a mortgage of 284 The bank is offering me seven. So what if you keep the mortgage in your name? I take possession of the house right now as if I'm renting from you, but I'm taking possession. I will take care of all the expenses, all the repairs, all the capex with the capital expenditures, literally everything as if the property is mine, but it's to yours. And then instead of paying 7% to the bank, I pay you, for example, 5%. So I'm yep. paying 284. You're also making a little bit of the interest. Okay. And then let's say, when is your mortgage due? Say, oh, Sandra, my mortgage is due in October 2024. Okay, no problem. So you're going to do a contract that the completion date of this transaction is October 2024. So in my case, what I'm doing here, I am taking advantage of your current rate. And then I get into the property, start doing the stabilization to rent or to renovate whatever I have to do. Because then a completion date, hopefully, interest rates will be in a better uh, space. And then the equity is mine, the equity is built in. It's like, oh, I want a 750 today. Okay, no problem. I, I pay you 750 But then if I'm looking down another year, I'm going to have 3 4% appreciation. So I also have enough equity. So then at the time of the completion, I do the refinance at the new value with a better interest rate, with a better monthly payment. I pay you out. You move on with your life. I move on with my life. So that's in very high level, how you structure an agreement for sale. Now, if you want to use the technical name is, the agreement for sale is to take possession of the property today, still keeping the existing owner on board, and then the completion is in a future date with the value agreed today. That's why I'm saying that it's very similar uh, with uh, rent to one. rent to one. Okay. So thanks for the explanation. And... I'd like to break it down for a lot of people who just listen to that mind-blowing explanation. So you used a, a couple of terminologies that I wanted to clarify you know, so that everyone is on the same page. So when you say I'm taking over a building, you know, just to clarify, you are not closing on the building. There's no land transfer tax. Like You're not closing on the building today. You're just taking possession of the building. So the mortgage does not change hands. Um, right. So you, in that instance, it's more of a legal documentation that you need to have with the seller, just confirming between both parties that you are now taking over the mortgage payments, but everything is still in the seller's name. Correct. Okay. So some questions that I, I know people you know, would be looking to ask 
and I, I think I've also asked these questions before, you know, with the agreement for sale, you know, are there specific types of lawyers that do these transactions because it's not prevalent? Um, no. So, and if there are specific types of lawyers, you know, how do they typically go around structuring that in the sense that the mortgage still stays with the seller, you take, you know, liability of paying that mortgage, you know, how do you structure those payments where, you know, you pay the seller and then the seller pays the bank? Because a lot of banks well, have... I don't want to take any risks. I don't want to take any risks because who guarantees me that if I give the money to the seller, he actually pay the mortgage, right? Yeah. Uh, so then I also have to be creative. So then you go, let's use as an example. You have Bank A as the bank that has the mortgage. Then I say, okay, Mr. Seller, now we're going to open a bank account on Bank B, a joint account, and then you see the money coming in, and then I see the money going out. And then we're going to move okay. a letter that say, I'm going to go back to Bank A and say, listen, now I am the new property manager of this property. Therefore, we have a joint account on Bank B. So please, now you're going to start taking the payments out of the bank account from Bank B which is a joint account between myself and the seller. I put the money every month there, and then he sees it, and then I see the money being deducted to pay the mortgage. And then also we're going to have another agreement because we'll prevent the seller to go and put a second mortgage or take a line of credit and all of that great stuff. But for the sellers, they want to see a track record because then they ask, well, what if I do this and then you come and destroy my house, then lose his value? Yeah. Right? So the, you have to build a relationship and then show the track record. It's like, this is what I do for a living. So I can't, if that's what I'm doing, I wouldn't be in business. Uh, and then build that trust so the seller feels confident that we'll create a win-win uh, scenario. Okay. So, oh, sorry. And now, so you're asking about the lawyer, actually asking yeah. about the lawyer. It has to be on both sides. A lawyer that is a a creative financing friendly lawyer. Okay. Because you can get the staff <laughs> on board, you can get the team on board, the lawyer can kill the deal. I say, well, I, I don't have a lawyer that is creative. I say, well, I have my lawyer and I have another lawyer. So yeah, but I have my own lawyer. So then we put a third party lawyer to have a conversation with his lawyer to kind of understand the concept of everything. Most projects that I did using this strategy, I was able to get the seller on board and to use the lawyer that was recommended by my lawyer, which is also a creative financing uh, lawyer to get the transaction done. Okay. So this is quite interesting because quite a number of deals that you've done are in the multifamily space. Um, A lot of our listeners are aspiring wholesalers, you know, experienced wholesalers, investors. Quite a number of them play also in the single family space, you know, where it's much easier. And the same oh my goodness, and the single family uh, space is much much easier than in multifamily, right? Okay. So in in the single family space, the priority is on speed. So with a typical wholesale transaction, just a straight transaction, you know, you could get the lawyer to come on board relatively easily. From your experience with the agreement for sale, how complex do you see those transactions? I can get in the, the single family space if the seller is on board. After okay. the moment that the seller says, okay, I'm doing it, we can get the deal done in two, three days. Okay, perfect. So it's just more about the education first, educating the seller on the advantages of this, the disadvantages, yeah. the pros and cons. Yeah. Once they're on board, you have 
lawyers already in place that know about the strategy. You just need to inform them that this is a deal that is going to fit the strategy. Yes, absolutely. And you don't start that and say, hey, Mr. Seller, I want to do an agreement for sale. But you start exploring. And because you're backing your strategy in numbers, yeah. right? Listen, this is the reality. If I buy your property for this price, this is what I'm going to pay. I am an investor. Uh, so, yes, I am in this industry to make money through real estate. Yeah. And if you're very upfront, genuine, and you have the ability to break down and explain to the seller. Because remember, you're dealing with individuals that they might be educated in what they do, but they never seen this. Even lawyers. I talk to lawyers that are not familiar with this strategy, and it's like, I'm talking crazy. But when you show and you explain, look at what I've done, look at the numbers, and then you explain with reasoning, it's much easier to get the seller on board, especially if they want to get Because right now, even on the wholesaling space, you buy, so let's say, pick a market, Pembroke. Yeah. And you're in Pembroke. So then you find a house in Pembroke. So let's say today, close to the hospital, we're going to find a three-bedroom, two-bath property there. Give or take around 450 500 Okay? Yeah. And then the property needs some renovation, needs some love. So you come as a wholesaler. It's like, okay, Mr. Wholesaler, Mr. Seller, this property only makes sense if I'm getting... 70 to 75 cents on the dollar. Okay, I can live with that because I want a quick closing. Okay, done. Now you try to wholesale that deal. But then, even though you're getting, say, okay, $50,000 below asking. Yeah. It's still the numbers like in this market, $50,000 below is nothing. Yeah. The numbers and you're paying the mortgage, like, I will never be able to exit this property. And that's when talking to the seller. So how do you feel like becoming the bank? And then you start playing on the 4 to 5% range interest rates. It's like, oh, I'm getting paid some money now. And then when you do the completion, I'm going to get the whole difference. And usually you ask for a deposit anyways. You say, yeah, yeah deferring your taxes. So that's also beneficial in terms of capital gains. Oh, but that's my primary residence. I'm not going to. Uh, pay any capital gains anyways. Yes, but start making some money right now. or And it's that conversation. Because right now, when yeah. you're talking to the seller, you ask, well, so what are you going to do with the money? Yeah. Some people are like, oh, I'm going to just invest, or I'm going to buy something else. Well, what if you start making some capital? And show numbers. And the tax benefits and all of that, the math makes sense. It's a much easier conversation to get a seller on board. So what you just mentioned now is a segue to my next question, because I was going to ask for the benefit of everyone listening, is when you are doing a pre-qualification call, identifying the seller's pain points, you ask a bunch of questions. We've spoken extensively on this podcast about the triggers that would tell you to bring in a VTB conversation, for instance. So for example, if a seller says, oh, you know, my building is fully paid off, I have equity, that tells you that, okay, there's enough equity to hold a VTB. But if the seller tells you, oh, I have... Um, you know, I took a, a mortgage recently, then you know that there's no equity in this building. You can't really propose a VTB. You sort of alluded to it earlier about having a low interest rate. Well, outside of having a low interest rate in a high interest rate environment today, are there any other triggers that tell you that this is a potential agreement for sale opportunity? Yes. The seller says, I bought this house and now what I owe is more than what the property is worth. Okay. Which I was saying a lot. Yeah. So what do you mean, Mr. Seller? 
Well, I bought this property for 340. I put some money into renovations. I got a renovation loan. And now I owe to the bank 365, but I cannot sell this property for 350. It's like perfect. What if I have a solution for you that I'm gonna take this problem out of your hands and you don't have to worry about this anymore? What do you mean? How? Well, that's when then start the agreement for sale conversation because I take over. And then that's a perfect scenario that I'm taking over. Okay, so he owes 365. I cannot sell this property for 350, but this is a perfect candidate that I can find a new buyer and do a rent-to-own. I said, but Sandro, my mortgage is 3000 Okay, no problem. I'm going to find somebody that can rent-to-own that won't necessarily qualify today, but might qualify in two, three years. So then I rent for this individual for... 3500 for example, because a portion of that money is going towards the down payment. I'm taking the problem out of the seller's hands. I'm solving the problem of somebody trying to get into housing. They don't qualify today because of the interest rates in the qualifier. And I'm basically paying out his mortgage and so giving a solution to housing for somebody else. Because then in two years, three years' time, I'm going to have the equity paid down, the guy built in already the enough money for down payment, and then we do as a refinancing, it's very likely that he'll be able to qualify and everybody's happy. Okay. So to summarize, once a seller confirms to you that they have an existing mortgage, if that mortgage rate is lower than you know the rates that you, you can get on the open market today, that's obviously an opportunity for arbitrage. You could essentially take over that building's operations leverage the lower interest rates yes in 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 short words seller with low interest rates is an opportunity because i show hey listen i can't afford to pay this amount you have this let's find a common ground yeah sellers with very high interest rates is also an opportunity because if i do an agreement uh, rent to own that property i get somebody to rent the property and pay the difference problem solved Cost a client with high equity is an opportunity because he can access the equity as well and make some money out of the equity. Sellers with no equity at all, I'm helping them to keep their credit so they can move on when things get better. So the opportunities are in every strategy. Okay. So from in your experience, why do you think the argument for sales strategy isn't very well popularized? You know, in the creative financing space, you get more VTBs, um, but you don't really get a lot of conversations around the AFS. So what's your thought process on that? The operators are not willing to invest in their education. That's simple. Okay. So, and again, how did I get into agreement for sale? I started looking to it and I said, who's the best guy in Canada mm-hmm. that has this strategy? And I found Barry Maguire in uh, Edmonton. He's a lawyer, investor for over 40 years of experience. He's the king of agreement for sale in Canada nowadays. So then I called Barry McGuire and his wife and said, yeah, we have a boot camp. I literally flew to Edmonton to spend a weekend with them and learn about this strategy. Came back to Ontario in the same week I got to do that. Like, and then I started talking about agreement for sale. So then I started telling individuals, guys, you guys should go. So how much you spend? Well, we spend close to three grand for the weekend. What? Now, this is crazy now. And people <laughs> best that education, right? 
Okay, so to get the first contract done, I paid 20K to the lawyer to get the contract done. And then like, oh man, can you give me your contract? No, of course not. <laughs> this contract, right? Um, but that's the thing. Now I have the tools. And I'm, it's not, I'm, I am not, it's not that I'm refusing to give the tools. It's like, hey, instead of giving you the fish, I'm going to teach you how to fish. So then yeah. you don't have to, to be fed again, right? If more people are willing to get themselves educated in this strategy, then they spread the word, and then now have more lawyers, more operators, more wholesalers, more sellers. It becomes a music conversation, right? But right now, you have to convince the realtor, you have to convince the wholesaler, you have to convince the seller, you have to convince the lawyer. It's, it's still, you still can do it. But they're like digging into more situations, and then if, oh, this one is interested, let's do it. Yeah. For anyone who missed what you said, there's two things I want to highlight. One is you live in Ontario. Yes. So you know, so for you know, people who don't know that, you live in Ontario. So you flew all the way to Edmonton. Yes. In Alberta for a weekend. And that weekend wasn't real estate in general. It was just one strategy. Right? I spent the weekend talking about the government for sale. Exactly. It wasn't the weekend. It was a one-day workshop. Okay. So you flew from Ontario to Edmonton to learn one strategy. And and that's really key because a lot of people go to, you know, workshops just to learn real estate in general. But going to a workshop, not in your province, to a separate province to learn one specific strategy. And then, as you said, taking action, coming back and literally the same week, taking what you've learned not letting it dissipate, but taking what you've learned there and then putting a deal under contract. I think that is key. And that's something that I also wanted to highlight that it's not just what you learn. It's also how you apply what you learn. Right. Um, and then there was also something else that you mentioned that you spent $20,000 on a contract. And, you know, I have to applaud that because again, for you to do that on something that is not revenue generating, just getting a contract, but then using that for revenue generating activities just shows the conviction in the strategy as well. So I just wanted to highlight that. And looking back, spending $25,000 to $30,000 on you know, your trip to Edmonton, on the contract, and just figuring out all the tools that you now need for AFS. What are your thoughts with that expense like do you see it as oh i, I shouldn't have spent this much or, or do you think like if i had to do it again you know i would even spend more like one thousand percent i'll say this I, I i believe in the education it's not the formal education that uh gonna go there and just teaching people anyways i'm just not, i don't want to get into that <laughs> I, I my kids they go to school and eventually, I want to have a tutor that is coming, teaching them about how to write checks, reading balance, like things that our previous generation didn't learn. Like a lot yeah. of engineers, engineers and doctors, they don't know how to read a balance sheet, for example, because nobody taught that, right? Yeah. Financial literacy. But in my experience, how am I able to scale quickly? How am I able to keep taking action? How am I getting to these places? Because I keep educating myself. And I want to become an, it's like a, I'm a specialist, right? Because I don't want to be the jack of all trades. I want to be a specialist. And then things that I'm not good at, what do I do? I either team up with somebody who's good at, or I hire somebody to do that, right? There's yeah. different ways to do it. 
And when you think about spending in education, some people say, oh, man, I have to spend this money. Okay, that's the mindset. I'm going to invest that money. And, again, in my experience, the capital that I invested on myself is the capital that is giving me the highest return on my investment, right? So, man, I keep I keep learning, I keep leveling up, I keep moving, and that's how I keep putting myself in a much higher and higher and higher position. I'm not better than anybody else, but I'm, I keep going up and leveling up and leveling up. That's the only way that's just doing this, I'm going to become a billionaire. Okay. I love that. I love that vision. So, with the argument for sale, transactions that you've done um when did you start doing this strategy and do you find that there's specific locations that you can do the strategy in maybe urban areas rural areas you know high priced areas low priced areas what are the criteria for people that are looking to find these types of opportunities before even getting to the point where they're speaking with the seller yeah so agreement for sale is very popular in uh a West, very, very popular. Up here, it's not as popular. Um, so Newfoundland, New Bronx, so the Atlantics is very difficult to do it because you don't have lawyers there that okay. are lawyers that would be willing to learn about this strategy. But here we have a lot of lawyers already, Toronto area and Ottawa and why not, and a West. But again, can you do anywhere? Absolutely, yes. But you always got to keep in mind, what is your exit strategy? If you buy this property, you have to exit. How are you going to exit? So if I'm doing a rural area, well, my pool of buyers is much smaller mm-hmm. unless I have a phenomenal strategy to increase the value of the property, right? So then for me personally, I want to buy properties in markets that I know that I'll be able to exit for sure. Okay. Okay. So that's very powerful. So thinking of the exit before you, you get in the strategy absolutely so that'll be more urban areas more metro areas more metropolitan cities with high population growth not necessarily smaller cities well not necessarily I'll give an example one of the projects that we've done is a project that is like a small town of five thousand people okay right? but the property uh needed some love and the love that was needed was basically chalk paint like sorry my- Chalk paint, like paint. Oh, okay, paint. Okay. So we got this property through agreement for sale. So my wife and I, and we literally went to Rana. At Rana, we bought like five hundred dollars in paint, and then <laughs> spend a week painting the house. And we're able to exit the property because we did through agreement for sale with a clause that it could exit earlier. And then we flipped the property four months later. We made a great profit. The seller was very happy that he got the price that he needed. I didn't even have to transfer the property into my name, right? And as a rural owner, but we saw the potential because all the houses around are being sold for higher. So, for example, if I was a wholesaler and I see the opportunity there, I know I can get the property, but I'm having a trouble now disposition because for wholesalers, the greatest challenge in this market is not just getting the property. You can get the property and get the buyer on board, but now I need to. Like that's the disposition challenge. Yeah. Okay, now I get somebody to buy this, this property. And then you start getting creative. It's like, okay, if I come to the buyer, it's like, I'm going to, I have a property here on package that I don't even need to worry about the mortgage right now. The seller is 
the bank, like he's doing this way. Now, for me, if I'm a fix and flip type investor, it's much more attractive. Yeah. Because I don't even need to worry about the VTB and doing the transfer. It's literally documentation with lawyers. Okay, boom, I get in, done, value. And then you also can get the seller on board, hey, Mr. Seller, to go, you're going to increase the value. Going to do it. This is what I'm going to do, the property. So yeah. you're getting the value now and also get a little bit of the equity. You know, like, you can get so creative. Yeah. Really so go further. A question I have that specifically for wholesaling. As you know, wholesalers will typically get paid on closing, right? Mm-hmm. But an agreement for sale is you're having a contract to exchange ownership of the property without closing today, but you defer your closing till tomorrow, and tomorrow can be six months, one year. If you were buying an agreement for sale property, would you be okay paying the wholesaler today upon the exchange or would you want the wholesaler to get paid upon the exit? The deal that I've done, the first deal that I've done, uh, it wasn't a wholesaler, it was a realtor. It was an off-market deal, but it's through a realtor. I paid the realtor on closing. Like not, like I paid the the realtor, let's say in this example today. Okay, so you were okay paying the realtor on exchange. Yes, I am. And you then went on with the seller, you know, later on to close at the future date. Yes. Okay, so I think that's very powerful because it, you know, a lot of wholesalers are thinking, if I want to structure a deal, if, if I have an opportunity to structure a deal, because by the way, I have an opportunity to structure a deal. I, I'm, I'm calling the seller after this call, and the seller is looking to do an agreement for sale. But the question is, if I structure an agreement for sale for two years, for instance, right, would the buyer, and not every buyer would be like you, but would the buyers that I'm pitching this to, would they be okay paying the wholesale fee today versus would they want you to wait in the deal for two years, right? And I think um, you sh- you shared your preference on that. And you know, if it's a strategy that kicks off with a lot of other wholesalers, as long as buyers are open to it, what are your thoughts on you know just the risks with paying the realtor today or paying a wholesaler today and you going forward to you know, close in another one or two years versus having the realtor and the wholesaler, you know, stay in the deal with you till the end? Well, the reality is the bigger the risk, bigger the reward. So yep. in this scenario, the reward got to be juicy. Now, do I risk losing everything? Absolutely. Am I willing to take the risk? If the reward is greater? Absolutely. Yep. Right? But again, that's really directly related to the level of comfort of each uh, buyer. Okay. 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 Cool. Yeah. So I think um, you know you've you've walked us through extensively. You know, like how this strategy works. I want to ask if there's any wholesalers today, you know, that are coming across properties that fit the strategy, but in the past, you know, they were throwing them away, or you know, they weren't working with them, or now they're thinking, you know what. I think we could leverage strategy for some of our deals. You know, how can they learn more about the strategy? Um, you know, if if they just want to leverage it on their deals today, they can connect with me. I'm willing, like, and I'd love to share the strategy and uh, you know and, and talk about. Now, uh, when you mention, okay, Sandro, if I wholesale bring you a deal, what are the like? What do you want to see? Well, I want to make sure that the seller is on board with this strategy and don't try to explain because you're going to mess up. Like, I, <laughs> it's important to know, okay, Mr. Seller is on board the creative financing. Yes. Yep. Would you consider 
renting the property for the time being. Well, yes. Okay, if you're considering renting the property, it's the same thing. Start making yeah. right? Now, it's better than renting because if I rent your property and things go wrong, you are still the one responsible in fixing everything. But I will take care of everything else. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, you also would be open as a seller to work with the lawyer that will be referred by our team because the lawyer has to be in agreement for sale friendly. Yep. So, oh, no, I'm not going to use your lawyer. I'm going to have to use mine. Okay, so then I'm not interested. Now, when I find a buyer that, you know, checks out these boxes, of course I'm willing to pay the wholesaler right now because okay. you know, I'm bringing my lawyer that will bring the other lawyer that will representing him. We see the upside. I know exactly what I'm walking into. Like, okay. Every- so that's one part of the deal. And... I would imagine that because a lot of wholesalers don't have the context you have, they probably don't have the contracts that you have, chances are that the deal that they would bring to you would have a standard agreement. But you just want to see that the seller is on board, or you would be the one bringing in the real AFS contract. Because I believe that to do agreement for sale, there's an agreement for sale specific contract that's different yeah. from the APS. I still have the Form 100, hidden on is the Form 100. So I'm going to talk about Ontario, right? You still have the Form 100, which is the reg- the traditional agreement for purchase and sale. Then you have to have a Schedule A, which is the payment schedule. Yep. And then you also have to have an agreement for sale contract. This is the one that I paid big back with the lawyer to, to get draft. But okay. until I get to that point, at this point, I'm not even talking to the seller. So everything that goes in the paper is the discussion. Okay, Mr. Yep. Seller, so how much are you paying on mortgage? I'm paying thirteen hundred. Okay, well, uh, I do the month. The math. Okay, I'm gonna pay you fifteen hundred a month. Okay, for the next twenty four months, we're gonna go open their bank account, and then we're gonna go this uh, together. And yes, 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 yes. Okay, so then on paper, I'm literally putting down what you agreed verbally. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So and that, that's why. Um, of course, the lawyer will put that in legal terms, but literally what's on going paper is what is already agreed verbally. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So anyone who wants to learn about this, they should definitely reach out to you. So this brings us to the end of our episode, Sandro. Before I ask you how people can actually connect with you, we have a question of the show that we ask everyone, which is, what's your greatest L in real estate is? And, and what that means is, what's your greatest learning or what, what have you done in real estate that didn't go so well? Where you got your best learning from? You know, people say that best learning was from their worst experiences. So, you know, what's your greatest L in real estate, and what did you learn from it? Man, the the, the greatest pain <laughs> getting private money to close on a deal, and then when the deal is not going accordingly to the plan, the private lender they don't care; they want their money. Mm. I should have. Done as uh, JV partner, for example, JPLP, because they would be crying with me. Now I'm the one crying. <laughs> okay. Right? So greatest learning there. Uh, and the greatest joy, I am buying my time back to do things okay. that I love. For example, this. If I'm still selling furnace and air conditioners, I wouldn't have the opportunity to be having this exchange with you because my time would be uh, with somebody else. Right, so real estate is literally giving me the opportunity to buy my freedom back. So the private chats coming and the trips to go have lunch with my mom, they're coming. Right, I am building a billion dollar portfolio uh, or portfolio that is worth billions of dollars because I believe in the power of real estate. Boom, mic drop 
Thank you very, very much, Sandro. Thank you for your time. Um, thank you for sharing your experience. You know, I, uh, like I know it's not easy, you know, to take time out of your schedule, you know, to share your experience with people. I know you've invested your time, your money, your resources in learning about this strategy and you are freely sharing it to everyone who's listening. So thank you very much for that. Before I let you go, you know, you said you're okay with people reaching out to you um, if they want to learn more about the strategy or if they have a deal that could potentially fit the strategy. Um, how can they reach out to you? So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, slash Sandro, S-A-N-D-R-O, Canada. One word, Sandro Canada. So any of the platforms is slash Sandro Canada. Okay. Thank you, Sandro Canada. Um, and that's it for the show, guys. Thank you very much um, for listening to the show. Thanks to Sandro for coming on. And um, yeah, like if you enjoyed the show, definitely rate, review us on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And be sure to hit that subscribe and notification buttons so that you know when this episode drops and also when the next one drops. So until then, remember, a deal a day keeps scarcity at bay. I love this, brother. And anytime, I'm so happy. And thank you for the platform and the opportunity to share my experience. I see you at the top. And stay blessed by the best. Thanks, Andrew.